Have you ever been asked to do something that you just really, 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 really don't want to do? <laughs> maybe, maybe it's something unpleasant, or maybe it's something that you just really don't want to do. Or uh, maybe it's something that you don't think you're capable of doing. Maybe you think it's just totally out of your depth, out of your realm. Or there's another side, maybe you just totally uh, disagree with what you've been called to do or asked to do. Maybe it's against what you think should be done. This morning, we're beginning a, a somewhat short series on, uh, on the book of Jonah. And it's going to take us right through in just to the beginning of September. But Jonah is just a little book in the Old Testament with a really big message for us. And Jonah is a really popular Sunday school message. And who knows why? What's the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear Jonah? You think of a whale, yes. Uh, it's Jonah being swallowed by a whale, or as modern translations say, a really big fish, a great fish. And I was in Bible college, and we had to do these ministry trips, uh, even though we were in placements, but we had to go to these various churches. And uh, we would give the, the, give the churches kind of the list of some of the things that we could do. Uh, we could give testimonies, we could lead in uh, worship, we could preach, we could do kids Sunday school, help with youth. And this one church said, yeah, that sounds good. Usually, usually they pick, you know, one or two of them. Sometimes they let us do one or two things, but they let us do everything this time. So uh, we kind of subdivided one, uh, one guy and a girl, led worship, I volunteered to preach, uh, and then the rest uh, helped out with uh, either giving testimonies and or kids ministry. And my one friend, uh, Victor, who isn't the first guy that comes to mind when you think of, this guy should lead the kids in Sunday school, was the guy who volunteered, and no one else volunteered. So uh, Victor led the kids in Jonah. And so he taught on Jonah, and I, I wasn't in the room. I only heard this last, or secondhand, but uh, kids kind of got, you know, the glossy-eyed scare. They're like, okay, that's nice. And then he said, okay, and now we're going to have something to apply the message so that we take it home and remember it. And him and the other uh, people had set up all these chairs and tables and blankets to make a really big fish. And uh, so he asked for volunteers. He said, who wants to get vomited out of the fish? <laughs> and surprisingly, nobody, it was kind of hard to get somebody. So uh, they finally got a little volunteer and uh, there was somebody inside of the fish. And what they did is the kid kind of crawled in the back end of the whale, which isn't how the book of Jonah goes, but, and then, uh, and then got vomited out. And uh, the kids thought this was great, getting thrown by a, a young adult onto a pile of mattresses. And so next thing you know, every kid is lining up and going over and over and over again. And so I don't remember what else they remembered from the book of Jonah other than getting vomited out. But my, my, uh, my professor that was supervising us it was just dying laughing and he just said I'm I'm never gonna forget this in all of my years about teaching on the book of Jonah but the whale takes over the story because people think about that and think about the whale and it's and it's a hilarious thing and it's an incredible miracle that that happens but actually in the book of Jonah it's, it's a tiny little footnote it's three verses and it's not the most important thing about the book of Jonah the most important thing about the book of Jonah and the most important message is the God-sized mercy in the book of Jonah. God is so merciful. God is so kind. And God is just so gracious to all of the people throughout the book of Jonah. 
but sometimes the whale takes over that story when we think about that. But even the whale, when we get there, uh, is an act of mercy on God's behalf. To, to explain what, uh, what mercy is, because uh, mercy and grace are often used in church kind of interchangeably, but they're slightly different. Mercy is actually not getting what you deserve. In this case, specifically punishment. So mercy is you deserved punishment, and God chooses instead not to give that to you. He instead chooses to give you kindness. And from the, the very beginning of the Bible, humanity rebelled against God. We were given one rule, and it's don't eat off the, uh, this one tree, which is of knowledge of good and evil. And they broke that because they wanted to be like God. And so since then, humanity has been in rebellion. And God is the source of life. The natural uh, effect of rebellion against the source of life is death. And so the punishment is death and broken relationship and separation from God. But God in his great mercy chooses to relent from that from people. And the, one of the primary characters of God that we talk about all the time in church and is very popular is God's love. God is so loving and people say God is love. But actually in the Bible... The primary characteristic of God, the center of who he is, is holy. And in Isaiah, it says God is holy, holy, holy. And in Hebrew language, a repetition of a word uh, multiplies it. So multiplying it three times, it's multiplied. It's, it's as big as you can imagine. And nowhere in the Bible is God called love, love, love. It says God is love. But even more than his love is his holiness. And so throughout the Bible, and even now, there's this divine tension that we experience between God's justice as an outpouring of his holiness and the need to punish sin and the need to punish rebellion and then the interplay between God's mercy, which is an outpouring of his love. And sometimes we expect God's divine wrath and his justice, and sometimes we receive his mercy. And so there's this tension throughout the book of Jonah between God's divine justice and his divine mercy. And we see that in the book of Jonah, his mercy actually wins out, even though we can understand that he is just and he is holy. So the primary purpose of Jonah is to show people the compassionate character of God, that even though he is holy and even though he takes justice absolutely seriously, he loves us and he wants to be merciful to us. He wants to forgive people. So God's compassion is not just for us, those who are in church, who do the right things, who say the right things, but it is actually for them. It is for the others as well. It is for those who are outside the church. And so our main idea for this morning that we are looking at is God's mercy is greater than our temporary disobedience. And before we get in the text, though, this morning, I want to give uh, a bit of background and context which will help us throughout the book of Jonah, but especially today, to grasp what's happening. So Jonah was a prophet who lived in the city of Jerusalem, which was Israel's capital city. It's where the temple was. So he was one of the prophets that lived in the temple. And the only other place that he's mentioned besides the book of Jonah is in 2 Kings 19. It's almost a little footnote where it says he, he gives a prophecy, uh, and then another prophet actually gives a different prophecy. But uh, the, content, or the type of literature that Jonah is, Jonah is considered a prophet, and he's in the book of, they're called Minor Prophets, which is just minor in length, not in importance. 
And the, the thing that my professor used to say is, minor prophets have a major message. So sometimes those things line up. And Jonah is a minor prophet with a major message. But even though he's a prophet, the type of literature he actually uh, writes is a historical narrative. So it's a story of history that is being lived out. And uh, the way that he has conversations with God is actually most similar to the book of Job. And so, and both Job and Jonah, both J names, they, uh, they reflect who God is both through their questions and through what happens in the book. And both of them actually have, take uh, a problem with how God operates in the world. So both of them show us that you can actually have an argument with God. They don't win, but you can have an argument with God. And so in, uh, in, uh, through the book of Jonah, we'll see that our faith is meant to be blind. It isn't meant just to be, we'll just accept whatever God does no matter what or what he says. You can actually have a robust faith. And that means you can talk to God. You can bring to him the hardest questions. Kara Powell from the Fuller Youth Institute says this. She says, I won't say it exactly, but she says that doubt isn't dangerous. Unexpressed doubt is dangerous. And she was specifically talking about young people in the church. And so saying that you have a doubt, you doubt something about God, or you wonder if God is loving or kind, or why doesn't God do this, wondering that isn't dangerous. If you keep it internally without expressing it either to God primarily and then other people and then have a, a conversation about it as Jonah and Job do, then you can't grow. But if you talk about your faith, if you talk about what you're struggling with, you can get answers. But the, the truth is that you won't get all the answers on this side of heaven. You know, the classic is suffering. Why do good people suffer and, and bad people? That's a common one throughout the Bible. But in, uh, in this book, it's the, the discussion of if God is holy and just, why does he forgive bad people? Why can he do that? And so we won't have all of our questions answered, but our faith, our faith isn't fragile. Our faith isn't going to get wrecked by us asking God the tough questions. The other part about Jonah is that it has this deep built-in irony. And it, it lands right in with my sense of humor. I love, I love irony and a little bit of sarcasm. So Jonah has these built-in ironies. That one th the thing that you expect to happen, the opposite thing happens. All throughout the book of Jonah. And so the, Jonah asks God and protests to God. He has complex questions and he gets answers from God. And it shows how God interacts with the wicked in the world. So would you please join me in swiping over or in uh, flipping in your, your Bible to Jonah 1, 1 to 3. I'll be reading out of the NIV 2011, which will be on the screen behind you. But uh, Jonah is an unusual prophet and he's a unique prophet. But it's, he's true to his calling, even when he's protesting God. That's something good to keep in mind. So, Jonah 1, 1 to 3. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord, and he headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So besides uh, the hard thing to say of Tarshish, 
We don't have anything like that. In my head, I have to sound like Sean Connery to say it properly, but Tarshish, that's it. That's all my uh, thing, but the first thing, the first eight words I counted this morning is the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Now, that is an important thing to say because uh, Jonah gets a bad rap. He gets beat up usually by preachers, and uh, I'll poke fun at him a little bit, but Jonah, Jonah was a true prophet. He was able to discern the voice of the Lord from all other voices. He was able to hear from God and know it was God. So he's sitting in the temporal Jerusalem, and the word of the Lord comes to him, and he's able to know that it's God. And so the word of the Lord comes to him, and then he could hear and discern God's voice from all others. So it's important. Let's establish this right now. Jonah was a true prophet. He made mistakes, yes. He was disobedient, yes. Was he perfect? Definitely not. And he wasn't always obedient, but he was a true prophet. And looking for irony in this book, it doesn't take us very long to find it. Because God tells Jonah, this true prophet of the Lord, okay, go to Nineveh and preach against it. And to give a little bit of background, the job of a prophet, the career, the calling, the the whatever of a prophet that you want to call it, the career of prophet was a hard gig. They weren't very popular. They got killed often by the people that they were told to go and warn. So God would speak to them and tell them to go and tell a people a message. Usually it was a message of warning, of your wickedness, as in this, has come before the Lord, repent or you'll be killed. Or sometimes it would uh, would be, in the case of, uh, Jeremiah, that it's too late to repent, you're going into exile. It's, and so being a prophet was hard. So let's give Jonah a little bit of slack. He's told to go to Nineveh and to preach because their wickedness has come against them. And Jonah's response to this, and it's hard to tell in, the, uh, in this translation because it's hidden kind of in the Hebrew, but it translates across, it's actually nonverbal, and when God says, go to Nineveh, Jonah's response is, uh-uh, uh-uh, I'm not, uh, uh, no, thank you, I'm not, I'm not going. And so, really, God says go, and Jonah essentially just says, no, I'm not going. So talk about ironic. It's literally his job to do this. It's literally his job to go tell people that God is judging them. And he says, nope, I don't want to go. So God's call is to rise and go. And Jonah responds by rising and fleeing. So God says, rise and go. And said, Jonah rose and fled. So Jonah's response can be seen in a few different lights. It could be seen as fear. It could be seen as rebellion. Or as we see later in 4.2, near the end, it's actually moral opposition to God. He disagrees with what God is doing. And so he says he's not interested in participating with what God wants to do. So what is this about? Why is Jonah doing this? Jonah's called to go to the great city of Nineveh. It was great in, uh, in power, great in wealth, in people, in size, and as we learn, not least of all, in wickedness. It was a great city. Uh, I could think of sin city. So what is going on here? Why is Jonah so scared or worried or mad or whatever, and why won't he go to Nineveh? So to give more context... Nineveh, which is now no longer there, it's just archaeological ruins, 
it had some uh, slight issues between them and Israel. Actually, in the time of uh, in the time of Hezekiah and Isaiah, the Assyrians, which is the nation that Nineveh is the capital city of, attacked uh, Jerusalem and had it surrounded. And the only reason that the Assyrians lost and and fled is because God miraculously intervenes, and uh, and uh, killed a whole bunch of them off. But the Assyrians were known as being the worst of the worst. They wouldn't just conquer nations. They would actually utterly humiliate their foes. And they were so proud of it and boast of how terrible and how awful and how evil they were that they would make art scenes all over their city depicting them torturing and massacring people. And they would write reports about how great they were at hurting people and the awful things they would do, killing uh, women and children and just awful things that they would do. And uh, they would create art so that people could look at it and be scared or grossed out or, I don't know, proud, I guess, if they were evil, about their conquered foes. And so uh, in Jonah's shoes, he's thinking God has commissioned him to go to this enemy, these people that had actually tried to conquer and massacre Israel. And he's calling them to go there and to preach this message. And it seems like it would be a harsh message. It would be, you are wicked, you're going to die right away. But Jonah knows something about God's character. He knows that God is merciful. And so to, to, to jump to 4-2, and we'll get there uh, in a few weeks, he says, I know that you are slow to anger and quick to forgive. He says, I, I know that if I preach repentance, if they did repent, you would forgive them. And I didn't want you to forgive them. And so for an, a modern analogy of a, something, an atrocity like this, uh, this is from 1994, but it was the Tutsi genocide. And for those who don't remember, it was a mass slaughter committed by the Hulu majority against the Tutsi. And it happened over a 100-day period. The president was killed, and then they began a systematic massacre of people. The Hulu majority was invited to rise up and to kill their Tutsi neighbors. And they, uh, both the military, the government, and civilian groups massacred somewhere between 500,000 and a million Tutsi people. And the, the Rwandans did it through with handheld weapons, with guns, and the violence itself, besides those who were killed, displaced another two million people. So uh, Rwanda is still reeling from the effects of this 23 years, 24 years later. And so it's just this massive thing. So could you imagine being a Tutsi person who has been part of this and ran away from this and been worried about it and you've heard about it in your history and you're called go and preach repentance to these people that's the emotion that Jonah is feeling at this moment that's the raw emotion against these violent and murderous people he had a grudge against so Jonah's left with a difficult choice he does he go to Israel's great enemy and preach repentance at the risk of his own life or maybe go and risk ostracism, being, risk, uh, being looked down upon by his neighbors, by not being welcomed, by being rejected from his own people for going to the enemy's aid. And instead, what he does is choose option C, which is he chooses neither possibility. Instead, he chooses to run. He chooses, I'm going to run away. And possibly what Jonah is thinking is, because Nineveh's wickedness is so great, maybe I can delay this. Maybe I can go away long enough that God's wrath will pour out before they have a chance for me to go there. And he thinks that maybe God will just destroy the city before they have an opportunity. So in, in verse 1-3, it 
it says that Jonah ran away from God's call. He ran away uh, to try to go to Tarshish en route to Joppa. And it says uh, in this passage and in other ones, it says that Jonah uh, went down. And go down in uh, the Hebrew language is synonymous with death. And so uh, they thought if you went down to somewhere, it meant you were going closer to dying. And so Jonah is literally taking steps towards death. And so why Tarshish? Why uh, go there and what difference would it make? Well, uh, we, I have a picture just to kind of illustrate. So in the, the Mediterranean uh, world, uh, Jerusalem is kind of at the bottom of that red arrow. And uh, that's, uh, he was in Jerusalem and he was called to go to Nineveh, the end of the arrow. Instead, he goes just a little hop over to Joppa and he's trying to go way over to the west to Tarshish. It was essentially the farthest west point, farthest away that he could imagine. And so he's trying to go there, and you see the little squiggly line, all of that. We'll get to uh, next week, but that's the storm that happens. And so instead of just doing a little hop over to Nineveh, instead he tries to go as far away as he possibly can. So the run to Tarshish is a run away from God. And uh, when Jonah was spoken to by God, when he received the word of the Lord, it was at the physical place of the temple in Jerusalem. So Jonah had a few things he could have been thinking. One is that if I leave the temple where I hear from God, then I won't hear from God. If I go somewhere else, maybe he won't speak to me. And Tarshish, because it was so far away, they didn't know about God of the Bible. They didn't know of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so he thought maybe, maybe he was thinking that if he went to a foreign culture that didn't worship God, that didn't know about God, maybe he could distract himself and not listen to God. And maybe he could just wait there until God's wrath poured out. But, uh, so the run for Jonah to Tarshish is actually a run away from God. It's a run to the self-referring life. And uh, that's a fancy way of saying uh, an individual choosing to instead allow God to be their, their reference point for the right and the wrong things to do. He's choosing to make himself the reference point. He'll live his life how he wants to. And this happens to a lot of people that maybe have experienced church a little bit. And then they say, well, I, I've been hurt by somebody. I've been hurt by something. I'm going to run away. I'm going to do whatever I want. Maybe they have a, a general belief in God still. Or maybe they have a little bit of morality. But they don't want God to be in control of their life. But Jonah, as I said, was a, a prophet. And he would have been a person that was charged with teaching other people about God. And he was a Hebrew, so he would have uh, grown up learning about the God of Bi the Bible, God of Scripture. And he wasn't just a general working uh, person that would have just had a, some knowledge of God. He actually spent time reading, studying, learning about God. And this is the God of all creation. He knew that God is omnipresent, which means he's everywhere all at once. He knows that God knows all things. He's omniscient. And that, uh, that no matter where you go, you can't get away from God. And later in uh, verse 1-9, he says, uh, he describes God as the God who made the sea and the land. And as a good prophet of the temple, he would have known Psalm 139, 7-10, which says this, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, 
Even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. So what is God the creator of? Part of the world? Part of the universe? No, God's the creator of everything. So Jonah knew that he couldn't really get away from God. So is it possible to run away from God? And yet, have any of us ever tried? How illogical are that? You know, we're really good at being logical when we want to be. But then there are times when we choose that we want to hide from God. We want to pretend that uh, we can get away. We want to pretend that we can go away, we can escape. And it's logically impossible, and yet we do it all the time. We do whatever mental gymnastics. That if you think, well, if I don't talk to God, he's not going to see me. It's like a toddler who runs away from their parents. The, the comedian Jim Gaffigan says it this way. He says his, kid, uh, his one kid doesn't like having baths. So anytime that uh, he would try and get the bath, the kid would run away as far as they go. And he said they have a two-bedroom apartment. He's like, where are you going to go? He's like, you can't even reach the door handle. And even if you could get outside, we're the only people you know. Like, no, what are you going to do? Where are you going to go? But yet we do that. <laughs> Sometimes we try and run away from God. We try and hide ourselves. Maybe we've sinned, maybe we've disobeyed, and yet, where are we going to go? Where else could we go? The, uh, the uh, disciples, um, after Jesus uh, told uh, in John about uh, how he is, uh, his, uh, his body is the bread and his blood is the wine, and the only way uh, to be reconciled to God is to eat his flesh and drink his blood. And the, the other people that were there said, this is a hard saying. What can we do about this? And then he turns to his disciples and says, uh, well, are you going to leave me too? And they said, where else could we go? You are the one with the words of life. Where could we go? And yet we try sometimes. Sometimes we try and run or hide away from God. We try to keep ourselves busy. We try and hide what we're doing. But there's nowhere to go. So what, what has God called you to do? So this could be different for everybody. Maybe God's called you to be a Sunday school teacher and you've, and you've rejected the call. I'm just putting that out there. Or a youth leader or an usher or uh, maybe it's a career choice. Maybe it's a volunteer position outside of the church. Maybe it's uh, he's called you to go tell somebody about Jesus. What has God called you to do? And I, I say that with, uh, with sincerity because I know God has called everyone to do something. And maybe it's not specific. Maybe it's not a, you go do this now. Maybe it's just a sense in our spirit that I need to tell more people about Jesus. Or I need to open up my home more or whatever. And if, if you don't feel like you've had a call from God and you're a believer, uh, I'm sorry to correct you. But in Matthew, it says, go make disciples. That's the call for every single person that believes in Jesus. Go and make disciples. It's a command for everybody. And I asked this earlier, but it's good to repeat. Have you ever tried to run away from God? The call that he has on you. Several biblical figures followed the, the path of Jonah, which was the initial call of God and then trying to run away. And then, uh, not to give away too much of the story, but uh, then Jonah uh, gets a miraculous intervention, and then he finally obeys, albeit reluctantly. But when I was in uh, Bible college, one of the most often stories when people would give their testimonies about why they were in Bible college to train to be a pastor or a kid's leader or a missionary or whatever 
it usually started off with, well, I felt the call of God when I was this age, and it took me this many years until I finally accepted it. I tried to do all these other things before I went and did it. And we, sometimes the call of God is difficult, or we think we're unqualified, or we think we're, uh, that it's a bad plan. Uh, Moses, for example, he's a great uh, biblical figure that was lifted up and uh, revered by the, the Hebrew people. He said and argued with God, he said, uh, I can't talk good. That's, that's what the translation of the Hebrew, I don't speak good. He says, I, I stumble, I, I stutter, I, 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 I don't know what to do. And God says, don't worry, I'll give you the words, go and do it. And so sometimes God calls us to something and instead we go, uh, no, uh-uh, Mm-mm. no thank you. And the story of Jonah, though, shows us that uh, we can't run away from God. And unless you want to get uh, swallowed by a huge fish and vomited out, uh, just, yeah, anyways. Now I'm thinking about the kids getting thrown out, but anyways. That's, you have that in your head. Uh, God calls us to many different things. And my encouragement would be that if God calls you to it, it's, it's not that you have to be smart enough. It's not that you have to be strong enough. It's not that you have to be enough. It's actually better if you're not anything, if you're weak, because that means God can use you even more. So if you just humbly say, okay, God, the little I have is all of yours. Do what you want in and through me. So to be used by God is an amazing thing. And I had this a little bit in my life. It took me, uh, it took me a few years in Bible college to finally actually being willing to step up and be a leader. I just kind of sat back and thought, well, these other people have been Christians their whole lives. I just became a Christian when I was a late teen or early adult. And, uh, and so I'll just let them kind of do it. And it wasn't until my fourth year I finally, a switch went off and I said, okay, God's called me to be a leader, to be a pastor. I got to step up and lead. So I started stepping up and leading and actually doing what he had called me to do. And I felt so much more release. And he gave me the confidence I needed after I actually made the step forward. Yeah, after. That's the thing. So uh, one guy, uh, Bruckner, he's a theologian, he says this. In in Scripture, God does not work with automatons, but with people of intelligence and integrity, whose authentic humanity is part of the difficult work in the world. God's not calling us just to be robots of faith. I know the verses, I will say all of the verses, I will do this step, then this step, then this step, and people will follow Jesus. That's not what God calls us to. He calls us to be real human beings, and he gives us experiences and lives to be used by him. So God isn't telling you, if you step into faith, to leave your intelligence at the door, to leave your questions at the door. He's saying, I made you the way that I wanted to make you. I'll use you how you are. Just like Jonah We don't have to be perfect. He can use us anyway, even if we have a little bit of of hesitancy in our lives. So if we put ourselves in the shoes of Jonah, what kind of hidden protests do we each have against what God has called us to? Do we maybe, like Jonah, have people that we think, I don't want God to forgive them. I don't think those people deserve God's grace and forgiveness because they were rude to me and gave me the finger when I was driving, which happened yesterday. But anyways, I won't. I'm not upset about it. Anyways. <laughs> you know, I'm, not, I'm really not upset about it. You know, God says pray for your enemies. And I never do that when I'm driving. But yeah, I do. Do we, do we have people that we wish, instead of God forgiving them, maybe he just eradicate and decimate? I was, uh, I was talking with Robin, and I won't spill confidence this morning, but he was upset by someone. And I, I am often comforted by the, the verse that says pray for your enemies. 
and uh, it's like heaping hot coals on their head. Isn't that a nice thing? But what we're the, the heart of prayer is if you're actually genuinely praying for somebody, you can't be mad at them because you start to have the love for them that God has for them. And so you realize no matter what they have done to you, no matter what they have said about you or to you, if you actually pray for them, you'll start to want them to accept grace and forgiveness and love. And so the timeless truth of Jonah is that God is still calling people to participate in his ministry of mercy for the whole world. So how will you respond? Will you partake in God's ministry of mercy to the world? This doesn't have to be you get on a plane and you go to Africa and you uh, minister to people there. The, the beautiful thing is that the nations are in Canada now. You can be a missionary to people from around the world in Canada. There are people here that have never heard the gospel. In our culture, in, in English, that have never heard about who Jesus is. So when God calls you like he did for Jonah, do you also hear the voice of the Lord? Are you able to discern his voice from all the other noise going around you? The theme of Jonah is God's active mercy towards his enemies. And then God's call for his people to participate in that message of mercy. And sometimes this is an offensive message for people, for people to hear, God wants to forgive you. God loves you. Maybe they'll be offended and say, forgive me for what? What have I done? I'm a good person. I'm going to heaven. To tell them that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And that he's the only way, the only truth, and the only life. People might be offended by that. But that's our message, to say that Jesus loves you and that he wants to forgive you. So are you a person who's already participating in that call? Then keep going. But maybe you're like me when I was younger. Maybe you're running from the call of God. Maybe you're hesitant because you know it'll cost something. All of us have times of running, but sooner or later, God will wake us up and say, come, follow me. So that's the hope of the gospel that... All have sinned, all have fallen short. None of us are worthy, but Jesus is enough. Jesus forgives us. He loves us if we but ask. He is merciful beyond our imaginations. God loves us and he's willing to forgive us no matter what we've done. And even though Jonah disobeyed God, and as we'll see next week and in the weeks to come, this led to disastrous consequences. This, this led to other people being put in jeopardy. God's mercy still rings through this story. God is merciful and willing and ready and happy to forgive us if we but ask. God is not sitting around waiting to punish us, waiting to zap us with a lightning bolt if we step out of bounds. He's a loving father who wants to guide us and correct us and push us back onto the narrow path. So the path of righteousness isn't easy to walk, but he does, he's the one who gives us the strength to do it. He's gentle and kind and patient. And even if everything in the world seems to be going wrong, we can have hope in Jesus Christ. So let us not use our time on this earth in rebellion, but in obedience. It's never too late to start obeying as long as you have breath in your lungs. So start obeying and be the messenger of mercy to others. So how do, we, how do we apply this? This is just three really quick things that we could do this week. But uh, if God is speaking to you something different or more specific, then take that. 
uh, but the first is to read the whole book of Jonah this week. It's four short chapters. You could read it eight times if you wanted to, or seven times. Let's say you could read it every day, but read the book of Jonah. It's rich. It's powerful. If you've never read it, then now's the time, but read the book of Jonah, and it'll help uh, as we continue over these next few weeks. And then take time to prayerfully consider, are you running from God's call? Do you know of something that God has called you to? Whatever that may look like, whatever that may be. And then uh, do you need to respond to God's offer of a second chance? Or a third? Or a fourth? Or a hundredth? When, when Jesus was asked, how many times should we forgive people? Seventy times seven. But yes, we are to forgive, and it's not that we're supposed to sit there and count up 490. God doesn't have a tally sheet there. But we are to continue to forgive, and God will forgive us like that as well. So would you please join me in praying as the worship team comes back and helps us respond this morning. And I want to honor your time. I've, I went a little long, but uh, so if you need to leave this place, then go in the mercy and the love of God. But if you have the opportunity, uh, stand with us and respond to what God is doing in your life this morning. Jesus, I thank you for inspiring uh, Jonah to write this and record this and the message that we have of your mercy, your mercy that isn't human-sized, it's God-sized. And I thank you that you are so merciful to us that even if we disobey temporarily, that as soon as we ask for forgiveness, you accept that. And that may we, although not perfectly, although we may stumblingly follow after Jesus, follow after you, Jesus, may you help us to have a great impact, to be messengers of mercy in the world around us. So I pray that whatever you are calling each one of us to do this morning, that we would have the courage to respond gratefully and happily to what you have. It's not about us. It's all about you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.